0: And welcome to New Consciousness Review. Our guest today is Jake Ducey. Now, at the young age of 19, Jake, a California surfer, dropped out of college, left behind a drug-filled life, and went in search of deeper meaning. His quest led him on a life-changing journey that has resulted in his debut book, Into the Wind, My Six-Month Journey Wandering the World, For Life's Purpose. It's just been released, and we are so looking forward to hearing all about it because this book is really making waves. You know, I couldn't wait to interview you, Jake, because I have heard that you have charmed everyone from Don Miguel Ruiz to Jack Canfield. And I know (laughs) that everyone here in Portland can't wait for you to come and visit us. So welcome.
1: Thank you. (laughs)
0: jake you know you are what 21
1: yes i'm 21 right now
0: um 21 going on 101 (laughs)
2: Uh,
0: jake describe to me your lifestyle and mindset in college before you decided to chuck it all
1: yeah I think it was it's similar to the way that that most people live whether they're in college or a lot of people in jobs they don't want and that's spending 5 days a week most of your most of each day doing something you don't want for me that was studying things that I wasn't interested in that I knew weren't right now ways that I could reverse the facts that 22,000 children are dying every day because of poverty related illnesses you know that a football field size of the rainforest is destroyed every day. And nothing I was learning was something I could immediately apply to switch that. And I felt very powerless. And on top of that, you know, I was playing basketball five hours a day. So being that I wasn't doing things that were actually enrich- enriching me from the inside, my weekends were the ways to actually, instead of becoming rich, they were the ways that I could forget that I am not being enriched. And that was, you know, very, very, very heavy drinking. I I took a lot of pills. I was the person in class that was the one that that fell asleep, not because he was tired, but because he was high on pills. And so somehow I found a way to always that the way to always get by in classes. However, My lifestyle was one from everything from the food I ate to to what I was doing was expiring. I say, you know, we have two choices to choose things that inspire us or things that expire us. And I was I was living an expired lifestyle. And when that happens, then it's everybody else's fault except for mine. So that's the way it was.
0: (laughs) Mm. Now, you wrote that you had a hypothesis that you wanted to prove, which was that we can all live our destiny by following our hearts. How did you come up with that hypothesis?
1: Thank you, so you know, from the time I was a sophomore in college sophomore in high school to freshman in college, you know that was that phase where i was I was heavily drinking as a sophomore in high school. I was drinking three nights a week and so At the end of freshman year – freshman semester of college, my first semester in college, I was so – I was so disgruntled and had so much going on that I just stopped and I said, I'm not going to go to class today. I'm just going to go lie down on my bed. And I – took a couple breaths, and I felt life inside of my body. There was a space from my mind for the first time I'd ever had. And I could feel this energy in my hands. And it blew me away. It was the first time I felt unconditional love or peace within myself. And I said, does anyone know this exists? How do we not know this exists within us? And so I I, one thing after another, day after day, all these self help books started coming to me. So I spent the next two semesters all day, every day, you know, reading, probably reading three books a week, self help books. The main things that really spoke to me were Wayne Dyer and Jack Canfield. So, in which they talk about everything is possible. As soon as we commit to it, everything is possible. No matter who you are, where you come from, or what you want to do, you can do it if you never quit. I said, yeah, this is really, really great, and it's making me feel empowered, but is this really true? So I decided I would test it. I said, well, I'm, I'm 19 right now. Let's see if this actually works. So I said, how can I prove this works? Well, I really like reading books, and they seem to really help other people. The problem is most people aren't interested in self-help books because they're formats. They're not stories. And I said, well, I could travel around the world without a map and prove that I could find my purpose, and I could write my story about it, a true story about it. So I said, all right, I'm going to go, and I'm going to see if this works. So really, I, I left on the on mentally understanding this but i hadn't fully experienced it yet and so that was the hypothesis not to prove it on a mental concept but to actually experience it
0: Hmm. your your family must have been a little surprised were they supportive
1: (laughs) everyone thought i was crazy except for my dad and my brother Everyone else, all my mom thought I was crazy. Everyone in my family did. I lost every one of my friends except for one or two, who whom now have all contacted me back and now all follow what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a, one. That's actually a really beautiful thing. Is that when you do follow your heart, you know what you realize is that you know, you have to be self-reliant. And so this, I actually look at it as a blessing. Everyone thinking I was crazy because it allowed me to really trust myself and to really put, put my trust into life.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure. If you, you didn't trust yourself, um, you would never have undertaken this journey. So, so tell us how, how you started out.
1: So this was, this was 2012 and, You know, I was somebody who was who was me studying everything that was happening in the world that was wrong with the world. And I was studying business and I I didn't know what was going to happen in 2012. So I wanted to go down to meet a shaman in Guatemala, a Mayan shaman. And I bought the plane ticket having not really any idea what I was doing. I didn't plan it. And right when I got there, two hours after I got there, I met one, one that didn't use any substances, didn't even drink alcohol. Two hours after I was there, I was crying on the concrete floor in the middle of the coffee fields in his home, having him tell me everything about my life with such accuracy. You know, I I flipped my car four times 400 feet down a ravine when I was drunk one night. He told me about that. He told me about incredible experiences of my past and also what i was to do in my life which was to travel around the world and and convey this message on the scale as you know some of these some of these people for the quote-unquote older generation are doing but for my generation to be to be a younger voice Mm -hmm. and so from there i went to australia there i hitchhiked around and you know i had realized while in guatemala Every morning I woke up and I saw people, children that didn't even have a pair of clothes, another pair of clothes, usually holes in their shoes, and they smiled at me all the time every single day. And that was when I first started to realize that happiness is actually something from within yourself that only you can create, that it's not going to be created from outside of you, that would be pleasure. And so from there I went through Australia from there, I went to Indonesia. I lost all my bank cards before I boarded the plane. However, my journey was not about playing it safe. It was about taking interesting and 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 weirdo long shot bets. So I was text. I was testing the principle of calculated risks. You know, step into the unknown, and we're provided for. So I boarded the plane to Indonesia. Having after, after I bought my visa upon landing, I just had a few dollars, you know, I think like four bucks after I got a hotel, three bucks. A family took me in in the concrete tilt-ups and uh, mind you that these are shacks that are five feet long by three feet wide that fit a family of four and there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these stacked on top of each other and they took me in, they fed me, they gave me a phone to call America, they got me housing, everything. Uh, And I spent all my time sitting on the curbs with them where no other, no other.
0: (laughs) Jake, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to stop you from this cook's tour because you're, you're just going through it so quickly and you had so many amazingly deep experiences on the way. So let's go back to Guatemala. Oh, please. Okay. Now, you you had this shaman suddenly tell you things that there was no way that he could have known. And you hadn't really uh, gone into the world of, of uh, psychic phenomena and so on. What was your reaction to all of this?
1: Oh, yeah, I didn't believe it existed really. You know, ment- on a mental level, I had, you know, read some stuff about it. And when he started doing it, he told me before that he was going to read my mind and I didn't believe him. And I immediately, when he told me about my car accident and other things, I start my body. Well, first, my body started shaking. I was convulsing. And then I started crying and I couldn't control my body or the tears in my eyes. And he just kept saying to me, breathe profoundly, breathe profoundly. Do not get lost in your mind. And so I had to keep bringing myself back and bringing myself back to the moment. And when he started telling me about my present and my future and the change I was going through, it was the first time in my life that I felt that sense of destiny within me, that I was supported and that everything was going to be Perfect, and that I was alive for a reason. Before, I never knew that I was alive for a reason. And that was the first time that I realized I was alive for a reason. My body stopped shaking, I stopped crying, and I just felt this sense of peace like this, like this safety that something I couldn't see was guiding me.
0: What was your spirituality before that?
1: Well, I grew up without i didn't even believe i didn't believe in anything um and you know over the last year I started believing you know in in a in in God but not as in an entity God is in an all pervading force a spirit the uh the energy that permeates all of ourselves and all of our body, but I only believed it as a mental concept mm-hmm. and so these were the first times i was my mind was actually dissolving, and I was moving into oneness with, with this spirit. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, one of the things that, uh, was reflected to you all the time, uh, by the local people that you met was that you are not the typical American tourist. What was it that you were feeling towards them? What was your attitude as you were going into the country?
1: My mind envied what they have what they had which on the appearance was nothing but within it was everything they didn't need anything in order to be fulfilled and that's why I felt so compelled to them that I already had everything and it didn't fulfill me I always had a home I always had food I got to go to college you know I was a I was a quote unquote you know star college or high school basketball player and none of it fulfilled me and i saw these people that hadn't experienced any of that but they smiled at me with this with this smile that that said that it was just their purpose to just smile at you and be happy and it was something i'd never experienced before mm-hmm. and it it made me grateful for my life, which is something I went through about 18 years, never being grateful for everything that I had. And it was just such a beau It was such a beautiful thing to see somebody who has nothing, but really has everything.
0: Tell us about the, the shaman. At one point, um, you were supposed to be meeting with him. And when you got to his house, you saw all of his possessions out on the outside. <laughs> Tell us about that.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I say, basically, he was like a modern day Jesus to them. And he was the one who kept the entire the entire Mayan heritage intact in the village. And so this particular morning... We walked down there. I, I showed up at his place for our morning, morning meditations and, and Mayan yoga. And he was giving away all of his stuff. And that actually was something that sparked in me how much stuff I realized that I brought with me while I was traveling. <laughs> and, I, and then from then on, I made the decision. I, I, I left with three bags and I came back with a backpack. I gave away, I started giving away all my stuff. And what I realized is that, you know, while you're giving away something in physical, you're you're receiving something on an emotional level in return all the time. And he just proceeded and exemplified this this true feeling inside that nothing was actually his, including himself. That his life wasn't his. And so the only thing worthwhile to do was to just give it. And he said that giving, giving is actually the, the truest expression of desired unity. And if we want to move forward and not completely separate ourselves and, and, and destroy ourselves as a civilization, that giving is the only way that we can do this, expressing our unity And so that that was what I call upon that all the time and and had to while I was writing the book and continuing to do things that if this man that had nothing could do that, imagine what we in the Western world who, quote unquote, have everything can do.
0: Hmm. Indeed. So if you've just joined us, we're speaking with Jake Ducey about his new book, Into the Wind. So where did you go? Uh, you you came back to Guatemala uh, to work with this shaman. He, he wanted to start an orphanage. Um, didn't you and your brother help him do that?
1: Yeah, well, the craziest thing was he knew we were coming before we got there. And he actually wrote out the plan for this school orphanage, which is not a Western one per se. It's when they're so impoverished, they actually lose touch with their Mayan heritage, with their with their spirituality and their native roots. So this is the orphanage, the school, and his objective in general is about realigning them with their heritage, you know. And so he knew we were coming. He finished this business plan two days before we got there and dated it two days before we got there. And so the way we did it was he presented it all to us before we left. And we actually just started contacting everyone that we knew. We didn't have an organization or anything, but just contacted everyone that we knew and went and 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 brought the money to him in order to construct this and in order to provide the necessary resources which a lot of it is food they don't most of them you know they're eating two popsicles the children for for food for the day and so i after seeing fernando the shaman giving away all of his things i knew that it was the least that i could do that i couldn't sit down at night and value anything that I had, even if it was just a shirt over my back, if I didn't at least match that, giving it to somebody else.
0: Mm. So where did, uh, speaking of the shirt on your back, um, tell us about your encounter with the Bob Marley t-shirt and your next trip, your next stop.
1: (laughs) Well, context is I brought a lot of Bob Marley shirts with me because that's a, I felt that was going to be a way for me to be able to the locals to relate to me more and not just look at me like a tourist, somebody who understood them. Because Bob Marley speaks their language, their language of that you can still find, find freedom even though you don't have anything, even though they're largely being oppressed. And I was taking a boat to go to an ATM across the lake, and a guy who was working on the boat about my age asked for it. And in my mind I my mind was like no way. I just bought this shirt. I literally bought it a few days before I left and I liked it. It was my favorite one. <laughs> and and then I thought to myself, well, what did Fernando just do? What is, you know, these people don't have anything. So, before I could rationalize it, I just pulled it off my back really quick and gave it to him. And the most beautiful thing happened after that. He took us through the vi- through his neighboring village, which was, you know, basically they're just a bunch of concrete shacks out, you know, on these little alleys. And took us into his home with his family. And we were able to meet his father, who was actually, during the civil war that happened in Guatemala, was actually put in a hole for a week in the ground with no food and water before being, being brought into solitary confinement for three years. And what he said to me, he, and he wasn't angry about it. And I asked him, how are you not angry? You know, how can you forgive somebody? Because I thought back to all the people I was still mad at for the littlest things in my life. And he said, forgiveness is the alchemy of the soul. In which the feeling of possibility returns to the human spirit. And I thought about how many possibilities of my life I was limiting for not forgiving other people. And, and, and I thought about how much of the unhappiness, you know, 44% of college students today announce that they have experienced depression how much of that is due to not forgiving somebody or a situation or ourselves. And that was so incredible. And the only reason that happened is because I didn't listen to my mind and I gave something to somebody.
0: Hmm. So where did your travels take you next?
1: Next, I went to Australia and I went to the Gold Coast. There I decided I was going to to hitchhike and sleep on the beach I found a tent I lived in a tent and that the reason that I ultimately decided to do that was because I saw these people in Guatemala who had nothing and were so happy and so I thought that it would be a great learning opportunity for me to to see that I didn't need things in order to to feel great. And that was that was a very profound time in my life, you know, because when you're largely without the Western comforts, you know, a few things can happen. You can either look for other ways to find to find some happiness or you can complain about it. And (laughs) so so that brought me to getting out of my getting out of my elements a lot. And going to meet a lot of interesting people, I was ultimately I, w- I was pitched I was picked up by it a, by, a, by I was hitchhiking, and a, a wealthy man picked me up, and that was a another really beautiful experience. I I asked him about you know being successful and and having a great family life and everything that he wanted, and he told me that. You can't be successful until you're first happy within yourself, because you're just you're always going to keep striving and keep striving. And so he said, the most important thing for me to do was to find something that I was passionate about, then make that my obsession, make my obsession, my profession. And I would never have to work a day in my life and so I have followed that right now to this, to this exact day.
0: <laughs> and
1: so that, that was the, that was a really beautiful time in my life where I was in a first world country where all these things were around me. However, I was, I was experiencing it without all of those things. And that was the most free that I felt, the lightest that I had felt in my life.
0: You even had um, a, a a couple buy you a ticket to a big concert.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had the opportunity being that I was so – I was – you know, I didn't have a phone. I didn't have a computer or anything. So I spent a lot of my time looking to connect with people and happened to bump into three Israelis that had just finished serving their mandatory sentence in the army there. And I had this preconceivement, you know, from from our Western media that one, they were going to be bad people, two, I wasn't and two, I wasn't going to like them. And they ended up being the most incredibly generous people that I probably had ever met, you know, at that time in my life. And. They ended up buying me a ticket, you know, a $200 ticket, drove me across the Gold Coast and didn't ask for any money back. They just said, hey, that's what we do. And that was a really beautiful experience for me because it allowed me to see beyond all of the colors of who we are or where we're from, and it just – I, I it allowed me to go beyond all the barriers that we've built. You know, I I think that largely a lot of the reasons that, that we have such a country, a, such a world at war is because we just look at the barriers and it forced me to go beyond the barriers that I didn't even look beyond them at first, but they invited me beyond the barriers.
0: Mm hmm.
1: Mm hmm. And where did you go
0: from Australia?
1: From Australia, I went to Indonesia. And that was, I was very excited about that. Because though I was living in a tent largely, there was still so much first world stuff going on. That I was excited to get back into this third world and be with some more locals again. And the 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 adventure there was before i boarded the plane i lost all my bank cards my the plane from australia to indonesia however i elected to get on the plane anyways and i did that just because i don't look at risks so often we look at risks and we make our decisions based off of which could hurt the most which Out of fear, which one could be the worst off? However, I look at my decisions off which has the highest potential reward. The highest potential reward for me was to get on this plane having lost all my bank cards and just having, you know, a few dollars after getting my visa. And the highest reward for me was that I was going to experience a level of faith and support that I had never before experienced. So I got on this plane, was ripped off for the rest, almost the rest of my money for a hotel and, and some baggage claim, which I didn't know (laughs) (laughs) that they, that they carry your bags for you. I thought they were just doing it because they were nice. And then they took most of my money and, Shortly after that, in the morning, I was approached by some locals whom I thought were selling me things. I told them, guys, I don't have anything. I don't have any money. And they just started laughing at me. And I smiled, you know, because I was enjoying it. It was a nice adventure. And they looked at me and they saw something different in me. You know, going back to as you had spoke about, people often told me that I was different than most tourists. You know, nobody would enter a third world country with no money just because and <laughs> I didn't do it just because I did it because I was looking for something. I didn't know what I was looking for. And I found out what I was looking for. And that was to see what one of the purposes of life was. And so I spent time with these guys in these concrete shacks, five by three foot shacks. They have absolutely nothing, and all the children are running around and grabbing me, and because nobody, no white people, walk through these shacks where they took me. And after a few days, I got a wire transfer. I tried to give them, you know, a, a definitely a year's worth of money, a half a year's worth of money, and they said no. They said, here's the here's the one of the purposes of life that I learned from them. Life is about giving without expecting return. Mm. And it was so (laughs) profound because here are these people that paid the rest of the money that they had in order for me to be okay, And then when I tried to give them money back, they wouldn't even take it.
0: That's certainly not something you would find here in the West.
1: (laughs) Usually not, I don't think.
0: (laughs) Wow. So what kind of heart connection did you make? I mean, they looked at you... And they saw something different in you. Do you have any idea what it was that you were radiating that was so different that made that connection?
1: I wasn't judging them. Everybody judges them. I sat on the corner with them and witnessed this. We sat on the middle of the street corner in the city. Everybody's looking down on them. And though I was a lot taller than them and physically looking down on them, I was not looking down on them. I trusted them. They ha- they don't have people that trust them, you know. And most people think they're going to steal their money or, you know, something some type of criminal activity will take place. And I didn't look at them like that. And that's all they want, you know. Yeah, they need money to support themselves, but They just want people to look at them like an equal, you know, to look at them with with dignity. And they saw that in me, that I wasn't I wasn't looking at them besides for who they were. And I think that really touched them, that they were so surprised that I wasn't I wasn't there with with bags to go shopping at these outlet malls where you can buy, you know, clothes you get in America for $75, 75% off. They were so surprised by that. And so often I was asked, aren't you going to do normal tourist things? And I was like, why would I do that? And it just blew them away.
0: Mm -hmm. You know what you just said about, um, Respecting the dignity of the other person is such a profound comment. When you look around the world today at the tensions among nations, at the tensions among, um, groups within countries, really what they're fighting for is, um, perhaps not just the respect of others, perhaps their own self-respect.
1: Yeah, I, I think that is, is, perhaps a major component in that. Hmm.
0: So where did you go from there?
1: (laughs) Well, after that experience, which was, you know, it was so beyond anything that I can describe when someone day after day after day just keeps giving to you and giving to you and doesn't want anything back. They're just like, "Meh, we're just we're just supposed to do that and i know you would do the same for me if 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 i was in your country and i just kind of swallowed my my spit and and hoped that i would have done that <laughs> and so i decided that i was i was not going to to spend any time with other with with other tourists you know if they presented themselves i absolutely would but i was seeking experiences with locals and so this ultimately led me to another island Gili Trawangan, which is a three-kilometer island, you know, extremely small. All the locals who live there, they aren't born there. They're actually shipped there by their families in order to get money. When they have money, they can come back. However, they're so poor that usually, especially the males, they are shipped there when they're five, six, seven years old They sleep outside. They're entirely homeless. They usually don't have any clothes until they get, you know, some old clothes from a tourist. And I immediately connected with these locals right when I got there. It was one of those experiences. I write that it was so ironic to see that two people may live under a roof together for years, yet never truly meet, while two people at first sight, our old friends. Mm-hmm. That's what happened to me when I met. I was walking around looking for a homestay. And there was about 10 or 12 of these locals whom they all sleep outside on the ground. And I connected with them instantly. So I spent, you know, a few weeks staying with them and, and all day, every single day. And a few of them didn't speak English. However, there were a few that were translating. So they just grilled me with questions about America. And all I really wanted to know was about them. And they invited me to their home island. And, you know, their home island was Lombok. Lombok is largely where most of these locals from Gili Trawangan originally are from. And... They wanted to take me to a waterfall after meeting their family and it was pouring rain and we were literally in a place where there was no white people, where every single person stopped and looked at me, stopped what they were doing, whether they were driving a motorcycle or they were they were at a little shop or they were playing or they were listening to music. Everybody stopped and looked at me. <laughs> and- that was, that, was a, that was a truly a unique experience because I was so far out of my comfort zone. And they took me to this waterfall where we were climbing up rocks. They said, Jake, this is the most beautiful place we've ever been. It's our favorite place when we were kids. We used to go here all the time before we got shipped to the other island, Gilly. And so I was so honored that they were taking me, and they were so excited because it's the first time that a, at a tourist had trusted them enough to bring to allow them to bring them. Mm-hmm. So it was pouring rain, and ultimately, you know, I was I was thinking too much about what would happen if I fell, and I fell about ten feet off cliff down into a, down into a little river, and I saw my whole life flash before my eyes. And that was so incredible because while I was falling, I didn't regret what I had done. That I said, if something happens to me, I am so thrilled that I went through all that I went through. And just before I hit the ground, a voice said to me, you're going to be OK. You're going to be OK. And After I I hit the ground, and it took me a little bit to get get back to my senses, and immediately when I opened my eyes, one of them jumped off after me, and the sight just blew me away that I immediately just started crying right on the spot. (laughs) It was the most incredible thing someone had ever done for me that I was conscious of. You know, unconscious would be I don't remember my mother birthing me. And, you know, after a while, they were actually able to pull me back up and get me up to safety. And they were so upset that they had taken me there and I was injured. And when we got back, we found out that my mom had actually sensed this around the other side of the world. And she couldn't contact me because I didn't have money for a phone or I didn't have a computer. And... She, I ended up calling her a few days later, you know, because I realized how precious life was. While I was lying on my bed that night, I realized I had traveled around the whole world looking for something. I had left a physical location, which was where I was originally in America, only to find that everything I was looking for was within myself. And so I called my mom, you know, to to Connected with the people that had brought me into the earth that I loved so much. And she was so worried on the phone right when I answered. And I wasn't going to tell her what had happened because I didn't want to scare her. But she knew. She said, last night at 7 o'clock, I was so worried. My body started shaking and I started crying completely out of nowhere that something had happened to you. I asked her brother if he had heard from you. I thought something had happened to you. And I kind of calculated the time, which was about 11 o'clock or so when I fell. Mm -hmm. And I I wasn't going to tell you this, but here's what happened. And that was so incredible because it was proof that there's this connection between us that we cannot see.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that, that was just the most amazing experience. So battered and bruised, you decided to move on to Thailand, was it?
1: Yes. Yes. And, and, you know, I was planning on traveling for a year. This was at about five months. However, I, you know, lying in my bed the those last couple of days while I was kind of healing, I realized that lugging a bag around and going to look at different locations in the world wasn't what I was looking for. And I had already found what I was looking for. And so I elected to go into 14 days silent meditation in Thailand. And and that was going to be the culmination of my journey.
0: This Vipassana meditation is not for the faint of heart. (laughs) Tell us what it's like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, and it, this wasn't something I, if you would have said to me at the beginning, Jake, you're going to end with 14 days silent meditation. I wouldn't have believed you. And you know, that was just, that's what happens when we, when we move forward, you know, with, without a definite plan that, that is so we're so attached to. And so I arrived and, you know, we had to give all of our, clothes we couldn't wear our clothes we had to wear all white and it was 14 days of silence where I was meditating you know I think kind of kind of between 10 or 8 and 8 and I think the most day I meditated was about 12 or 13 hours where you're in silence you know your first meal I think is at five in the morning they you you, they wake you up at four in the morning and this was such a Profound experience for me because I was able to see and experience that the only times that I was unhappy was because of me. It wasn't because of anything else but my own mind. And so those first three days, those four first four days, I was crying, my body hurt. You know, I'm sitting, (laughs) I'm sitting crisscross all day. And I finally said to myself, this can be the worst experience of your entire life, and you can suffer all day for 14 days, or you can figure it out, and I decided I was going to figure it out, and so one night, it was about the fourth or fifth night, I said, I'm going to sit here, and I'm not going to move until I go beyond all of this stuff, all of this suffering, all of this thinking about the past and thinking about the future and, and wanting some mental stimulation or some, some food with some taste. And I sat there for about two hours, and what had happened at that point was I started losing connection with all of my body, all the pain in my body, all the thoughts that were happening and i more or less left this world, this world of my mind. And there I saw my, I saw my future. I, I saw my book complete and, and this voice spoke to me and this voice said that I was, I was supported. I was doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing and that, the reason that we're alive on this earth is to find something that we enjoy doing, something that we can that we can influence the world in a in a remarkable way with. And I sat there for about you know three or four hours. I, I forget exactly how long. And I was actually awakened by by a monk. It was the end of the night, and I kept hearing this voice. And I kind of thought it was voices in my head. And finally, this guy tapped on me and he said, excuse me, well, we have to close the monastery now. It's time to go to bed. And it blew me away that I had lost so much track of time that I had no idea how long I had been there. I opened my eyes and my body was healed. I had no more pain. My body was loose. All of my muscles were loose. There was no more tightness. I just had this huge smile on my face. My body was light. I felt like I could do anything. And that was when I realized that we're the only ones who can take away our smile. That all we have to do is, is smile and we're happy. Is to experience the fullness of us. And not the fragmentations of, of of ourselves that we create through our problems that i 'm only this or I 'm just that, or I 'm the experiencer of all of this pain. I am the pain that's in my body. this is who I am now i 'm Jake, and I have this sore neck and my knee i 'm Jake, and my knees' messed up, and I realize that we 're not actually any of that
0: mm. so since coming back you've been speaking to you know everybody that you could uh, communicate with and you've brought out this amazing book what has been the reception particularly among your own age
1: group Fernando the shaman said to me he said people want change but people are scared and they just need an example so the reception has been incredible. The reception, even amongst the people who thought I was crazy when I came back and wrote the book, has been incredible. Everybody wants to feel good. And when they see somebody who feels good about who they are, they're interested and they want to know. And I think specifically amongst our age group, my age group, is that People are aware that we can't keep living the same way that we're living. We can't cut down all the trees. Possessions don't make you rich. War doesn't create peace. But nobody knows what the solution is. And to me, the solution is to take these self-help principles, these spiritual practices, and apply them to action in the world. And so the response has been beautiful. The response has been... People don't consciously know in my age range that we create our happiness, that we control our happiness, that only we can take it away from us. But when you tell them that, they remember it. And so what I've been experiencing is what Fernando had told me. He said, this is the age of great remembrance. We had forgotten our power. And now we're entering the age where we're all remembering it. When I share this to people, they say, wow, I knew that. I just I didn't remember that.
0: Mm. Well, my my dear young friend, Jake, you are a prophet for our time. Tell me what your website is.
1: My website is my name, which is Jake, J-A-K-E, Ducey dot com, Jake, Ducey dot com. That's D as in David. U-C-E-Y.
0: jakeducey.com. Jake Ducey, author of Into the Wind. It has been such a delight to have you with us. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Miriam.
0: Lots of love and may the wind always be at your back.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much. You too. Goodbye. Goodbye.
0: You'll find a link to Jake's book on our website, along with reviews, interviews, videos, events, a growing author reader community, and even a link to our mobile app so you can take us with you on the road. That's ncreview.com. And now we're going to close with our track of the week, which was nominated for a Positive Music Award in 2012. It's called Live in Love by Sky Nelson.
2: show everything that I look at I get attached but I'm not gonna give weight to the wounds of my past when it's me that will lose if I choose to resent what I have show sure. Don't
0: take my seat and let love run the show. That was Live in Love by Sky Nelson from his album, The World Ocean. Sky is a New Thought singer songwriter who also teaches physics and math in high school and college level. His messages are about the art of living in the present, and he likes to say that the only thing we can change is ourselves, yet this can change the world. You can find out more about Sky at his website, skynelson.com. You know, Sky is a member of the Positive Music Association, a growing group of musicians who use music not only to entertain, but to make a positive difference in people's lives and in the world. Their website is Association.com. Well, I hope you'll join us next week when our guest will be Jean Adrienne. She's the author of Power Tools, the ultimate owner's manual for personal empowerment. So until then, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.